Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. On today's podcast, comedian AJ Lamarck returns and I review the Sopranos prequel movie, The Many Saints of Newark. My name is Justin Hamilton and you just need to say to yourself, this is the last time I'm ever going to steal something here at Big Squid. joining me today here at the podcast. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back. And if you're new to the podcast, and we have a lot of new subscribers, we've had a lot of people who have signed up, and thank you very much for doing so. The Big Squid Podcast is where my friends and I discuss the art and entertainment we're loving, and we have a feeling that you might love too. This is possibly a place where you might discover something that you never knew that you could love. So thank you for joining us. We have a number of topics to cover, including AJ Lamarck's return. He's going to be talking about Egypt. Uh, The last few times he's been on, he's given me a little bit of a history lesson in Egyptology, which has been a lot of fun. So we are continuing that. Uh, We also have time for me to do a review of The Many Saints of Newark. That is released this Thursday here in Australia. If you're overseas, you probably have already seen it. And FYI, I won't be giving away too much in the way of spoilers. I don't want to ruin it for anyone who hasn't seen the film yet, but I will be reviewing it in some pretty broad strokes. But if you've seen it, you'll know exactly uh, some of the parts that I'm talking about that I don't want to give away for people who are keen to see the film. And... I also will be sharing some of the thoughts our listeners had uh, in regards to the reaction of Hamo's hot take last week, the segment that returned for me to uh, voice my thoughts on the new Batman trailer. 
There's a lot to tackle today, so I hope you're up for a fun ride. Uh, as you know, we launched uh, Patreon for Big Squid a couple of weeks ago, and our subscriptions are ticking along nicely. We're very happy with the amount of people who have signed up so quickly. Uh, one of the quirks of being a Patreon member is you get to shape our Q&A podcast by asking the questions that power that specific episode and uh, our next Q&A will be with Total Reboot and why is Cats comedian Cameron James Uh, he'll be joining me to answer your questions so if you'd like to ask a question of Cam head over to the Big Squid Patreon site and if you're a member you can send us your questions and they will be asked the first one with Rove (laughs) <laughs> like we kind of planned to do just like half an hour and it went <laughs> much longer because the questions were so good. So I'm looking forward to seeing what you ask this time. Uh, another bonus of being a Patreon subscriber is that you get an episode of this podcast dedicated to you. And our Patreon subscriber for this episode is Darren Burgess, who has made two appearances on the podcast this week. Darren watched the first episode of the new Doctor Who series and fired off some thoughts to me yesterday, uh, just in time uh, before I recorded with Rove. So it's a double shout out, Darren. You're becoming a regular in one week. Thank you for not only subscribing, but also for your thoughts on the episode yesterday. I'm like you. I'm very excited for this new season of Doctor Who and thought the first episode started with a lot of promise. So fingers crossed they nail the ending, right, Darren? I feel like Jodie Whittaker deserves it. And as Whovians, so do we. So, Darren, I hope you enjoy this episode. We had a lot of Batman chat from our Patreon subscribers off the back of last week's hot take on the trailer, and I thought I'd share some of them with you. There were some really interesting uh, takes. There were some interesting uh, directions that people came from. So if you had your own thoughts, I'll be curious to know if any of these kind of line up with you. Ryan Moore seems to share my desire for uh, a new fun version of Batman. And he wrote that he'd either like them to take a break from Batman to give us time to reset. And that is one of those things, isn't it? There's been a lot of versions of Batman uh, just popping up. It's hard to kind of emotionally uh, connect to one when there's so many running around. But uh, he also said uh, maybe a more fun family-friendly version. And he even suggested an Evan Peters type for the role. But, Ryan, why get an Evan Peters type when we could maybe just get Evan Peters? Anyone who saw him in The Mayor of Easttown knows how great he is. And we've seen how funny he can be in WandaVision as well. So I'm totally up for this suggestion. I like that. Nice one, Ryan. Uh, Megan would like a younger version, which is what we're getting with Robert Patterson. But she, she doesn't want a version who is so jaded. And yes, can't someone be seriously dedicated to their job but still have space for jokes? I think uh, that is one of the underrated aspects of the Dark Knight trilogy. Nolan reference, have a drink. There's heaps of jokes in those movies. Like, there's heaps. Like, even in the third movie, which is more sombre, there's jokes. When people talk about it being grim and gritty, like, are they just missing all of the lines from Michael Caine from... Gary Oldman, even from Christian Bale himself, Raj Al Ghul, Liam Neeson drops some funny lines. I think those movies, uh, you know, like I'm not saying they're a laugh out loud, you know, barrel of ha-ha, but 
there are definitely jokes there. And I don't need a Batman who grits his teeth so much that they could turn into dust at any given point. So, ugh. Now I'm with you, Megan. She also wants a more sci-fi option to Batman, which I found quite interesting. She suggested uh, having someone take over the body of Batman like uh, like Scott Bakula in Quantum Leap. Now, I don't know if that would work in a movie because you're fundamentally changing the character, isn't it? And uh, a film wouldn't have enough space for that. But maybe a series might. A couple of episodes where he's possessed. Maybe... Like maybe it isn't sci-fi either. Perhaps we could get uh, Dead Man, Boston Brand from the comics. I don't know if you know that character, but uh, he's uh, he's a, a dead trapeze artist who uh, needs to uh, solve what happened to his murder and he possesses people. He turns up uh, quite hilariously in issues of Alan Moore's Swamp Thing if you are keen to check out Dead Man. But... Yeah, maybe Dead Man taking over the body. An outright horror movie could be a tasty change of direction for Batman. I don't know if you could make it the first uh, movie in a series, but I do like that as an idea. We don't tap into the horror aspects of Batman enough, so that could be fun. Uh, David Brognote would like to see a return to a part of the character that has been lost in the last few years, and that is Batman as the greatest detective in the world, you know, more in that Sherlock Holmes style. And I like this. I can picture the hairy-chested sex god Neil Adams version going about his business. Uh, I, I really like this, actually. Something that's a little bit slower, a little bit more sitting in the Batcave trying to work things out, maybe less use of uh, computers and technology. Uh, you know, I think that is a, a fair criticism of the Nolan Batman. He's a little bit more uh, reliant on technology, so it would be fun to see him, you know, having a big board with pins and strings on it. <laughs> so I would like that. Uh David would also like to see Batman in a situation where he can't punch his way out of trouble and thought a love triangle between Talia al Ghul and Selina Carr would be fun. We almost got that in The Dark Knight Rises, but how about a situation, uh, uh, let me know what you think of this, David, where Bruce is now dating Selina and then Talia arrives on his doorstep with the wonderful Damian Wayne in tow. For those of you who haven't read the comics, Damien Wayne is the illegitimate love child of Talia and Bruce. Uh, Grant Morrison brought that character back from a long-discarded but wonderful graphic novel called Son of the Demon and turned Damien Wayne into a wonderful, wonderful character. Like... Like some of my favourite uh, Batman stories are the ones where Damian Wayne is Robin and Dick Grayson has grown up and is Batman. And what it is, it's uh, it flips the dynamic. Batman is a more gentle and empathetic character and Robin is a psychopath. <laughs> and they're really fun comics. So... I would be totally into that. And David also added, and he apologised for having too many Batman uh, thoughts. And you can never have enough thoughts, mate. Like, I am completely fine with that, and that's why I'm sharing all of them. He also added that he'd like to see Hugh Jackman play him in a cheesy way. So that's an interesting take, too. I do love Hugh. Uh, though, would would Hugh Jackman want another superhero role so soon after Logan? Maybe? I don't know. Maybe we should ask Grove to ask Hugh for us. Uh, Claire wants a Batman adjacent story in a similar vein to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Uh, 
unfortunately, she didn't give me a suggestion as to whose eyes were seeing this through. So maybe I'll suggest we dig out the uh, old Gotham Central graphic novels and set it in the police precinct. That could be fun. I don't know if you've read that, but it would be kind of like a Hill Street Blues setup, but dealing with the crazies in Gotham. If you've never read the Gotham Central graphic novels, they are fantastic. Uh, Ed Brubaker is one of the writers, and I'm drawing a blank. I'm drawing a blank on the other writer. Hang on, let me see if I can find this as quickly as possible while I am uh, speaking. Oh, Greg Rucker. Yes, Greg Rucker is the other writer and they they swapped uh, the stories. So they uh, they flipped them. Uh, one would write one part of the story and then uh, the next writer would come in. Uh, the artwork's fantastic and they're great. They, they, like, they remind you how terrifying it would be to live in Gotham, especially when Mr. Freeze or the Joker are running around. So um, if, you, if you've never checked those out, they're great. I think it's uh, I think it ran for around 40-plus issues, so maybe ends up being about four or five graphic novels, but really great, really, really worth checking out if you uh, have the time. Uh, Thea Elizabeth Boggs, uh, T-H-I-A. I feel like that's Thea. I forgot to look that up, so apologies if I'm getting your name incorrect. Uh, Thea would love a Batman who realises that law enforcement was the problem and thinks the US would find it healing to have a Batman who saves people like, uh, you know, the, the, the poor George Floyd and Sandra Bland and Trayvon Martin, etc. Those uh, poor people in the real world who uh, were treated so poorly. And, you know, not to... Uh, not to be flippant with a comic book character while talking about real people, but I, I kind of feel like that's ingrained in the Batman origin. It's the reason he fights crime as a costumed adventurer rather than just becoming a policeman, because he has seen the corruption in the higher offices of power. But I do like what he is suggesting. It would be appealing to have a Batman that focuses on the street crime level rather than always matching wits with other costume fanatics. So I do like the idea of that. It it kicked off some other thoughts as well, uh, which kind of goes into this next suggestion from Matt Deegan. Uh, He wants a Batman who isn't born into wealth. Now, I was thinking about Thea and I was thinking about Matt's thoughts and look, I like this idea. I think it's interesting, but at first I was like, well, it kind of changes the fundamental aspect of the Batman mythology. He is a character that comes from old wealth. That's that's intrinsic to his origin story. And for me, it'd be like having Superman not be an alien or making Superman come, or not Superman, uh, Spider-Man come from a wealthy middle-class family. And I, I think if you change too much of the character, do you essentially just have a brand new character in similar clothing? Anyway, uh, Matt and I chatted about this online and I, I still don't quite know where I stand with it. But I was, like, one of the things that... It reminded me about though was uh, I was never into reinventing Batman as uh, a character who has uh, a different race. Like uh, I always thought, the place of privilege he is brought up in is really important. It's part of what makes him Batman. And 
I think you can have an African-American-looking Superman and that doesn't really change the character or a black Hispanic Spider-Man and that origin remains fairly much the same. But at first it felt uh, integral to Batman for him to come from a long line of old wealth. Anyway, I honestly can't remember who I was talking about this with. So apologies to whoever that may be. If you happen to hear this, can you please remind me? But I'd completely forgotten about this, but I'd been talking about that very idea with uh, a friend and we came up with a way to make Batman African-American. And it was really easy. It shows you that every idea, if you think it through and if you, you take your time thinking it through, you can come up with solutions. So... The idea is we could have uh, the Wayne family be super rich and uh, African American, but they only go back maybe a generation or two. So it's not it's not old wealth. It's it's relatively new wealth. Then on that fateful night when they all go out together, a young Bruce Wayne sees his parents murdered by a corrupt cop, and bingo, it still all makes sense, doesn't it? Like. It's kind of fascinating because it now taps into a different kind of story, which is we've seen African-American people, even when they attain a level of fame or power or or wealth, still be treated poorly. It's like LeBron James, one of the greatest basketballers to ever play the game, having the N-word spray-painted all over the gate to his house when he was just about to play in the NBA finals. So, so suddenly it, it, it gives a new weight and a, a new way in without really changing fundamentally what makes the character of Batman Batman. Anyway, I feel like I could talk about this for ages uh, and I probably should uh, discuss this with someone who is, uh, you know, African-American and, and can bring some real insight into it. But... Great suggestion from Matt and great suggestion from Thea. It really got me thinking about how to make it work. And, uh, yeah, that's what I love about all of this back and forth. Uh, Just a few more thoughts from people. Rachel Blair wants a Batman that balances the dark and tortured side, but would also like to see a happier version or one that at least achieves a level of happiness. That's part of my favourite hour of of the Dark Knight, where Bruce, Alfred, Lucius and Gordon... They're not only taking down the mob, but they're having a blast. Like they're having a really good time. Like they're all, they're almost a little smug about it. So having a an effective Batman, uh, you know, having a good time, I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. And I've saved my favourite comment until last. This is from Dan Trotman coming in hot. I loved it. He really took me aback (laughs) and it made me laugh when I was writing to him. Uh, He just came straight out and said he doesn't want a new one, doesn't think it is necessary. He thinks Batman is done. He believes the Christian Bale, uh, Christopher Nolan version got it so right. We don't need another interpretation for any other generation. He doesn't think it. And I love it. I don't necessarily agree, but I love the conviction. (laughs) It definitely made me think like, I do subscribe to the idea that it would be wonderful to have new characters to explore the complexity of the world we live in today. And I think some of these characters were designed for or invented in a in a much simpler time in, in many regards. Or not, not simpler, but just different. And sometimes they don't quite follow through to the modern era. This is this is one of the reasons why 
Uh, you know, you've heard me bang on before about how much I love the character of Daredevil, but I wish the movie or whatever Marvel does with him was set in the 70s. I just think that would work better. And, you know, I do kind of want new characters to like. And one of the reasons I love Inception and Tenet is that they don't rely on being a new Batman or James Bond or the usual protagonist. They're completely new movies with, you know, they might share similar traits, but they're their own characters. So, uh, yeah, I'm, you know, Dan. (laughs) I I like it a lot. And it did make me think all of the uh, messages that were sent to me really got me going. So uh, I really appreciate it. So thank you to everyone who wrote to me and shared their thoughts. Great to hear the different interpretations and once again, have a proper think about them. Okay, let's get into our movie review now as we follow young Anthony Soprano as he grows up in one of the most tumultuous eras in Newark, New Jersey, and becomes a man just as rival gangsters start to rise up and challenge the all-powerful Dalmio crime family. Caught up in the changing times is the uncle that Anthony idolises, Dickie Moltisanti, whose influence over his nephew will help shape the impressionable teenager into the all-powerful mob boss, Tony Soprano. This is The Many Saints of Newark. What do you want, Richard? I'll be honest with you. I want the money. I want to do a good deed. I want to do a lot more. The best things in life are free. I try to set an example for my nephew. Give them to the birds and bees. Anthony got kicked out of school. I went through all that trouble. And for what? I'm always being accused. You gotta be good. That's what I want. I want to do whatever I can to help the family. That's what I want. Money don't get everything, it's true. What it don't get, I can't use. I want money. I wonder what they talk about in that. I didn't catch the name. Pussy. <laughs> Put him on the table. I think I just got this jacket. You know, I, I try so hard. Gotta do something about Dickie Malasani. What a blow. I know you can get anything. Look at Dickie Moltisanti. He steps up, takes care of his family, takes care of all the business. If anybody tells anybody about this... How you doing on your merit badges? I want to do all kinds of good things. It's the one thing. Pain comes from always wanting things. But who do I know? I'm a murderer. Things in life are free. Got myself a son. Hi, Christopher. Hello. It's like a scam or something. Some babies, when they come into the world, know all kinds of things from the other side. That's what I want. 
The Sopranos creator David Chase always dreamt of making movies and the acclaimed series actually began life as a film idea. He even told critic Alan Seppenwall that while he was filming the pilot, he fantasised that HBO would pass on it and he could expand it into a feature-length movie. Now we have The Many Saints of Newark, a story that centres on Dickie Moltisanti, <laughs> played brilliantly by Alessandro Nivola. I hadn't seen Alessandro's work before, but he is mesmerising on the big screen. He just oozes charisma. He's super cool. And, you know, like one of those classic Soprano characters or, you know, a classic gangster character. He's impulsive and you can see the weight of his actions bearing a heavy toll on his immortal soul. And while Dickie wrestles with his actions and his place and his beliefs and his desire to be a good person, even though we know he isn't, we can also see the allure he has on young Tony Soprano, played just beautifully by James Gandolfini's son, Michael. Uh, Young Tony is a boy looking for a male role model. His father is in jail at a pivotal moment in his young age and in his life. And for me, this is where the film really soars. The the character of Dickie was a mythical figure in the original TV series. So there is a danger when showing us what the man was really like that you could end up ruining the legend to a certain extent. Yet Dickie is compelling, He is a character of excess from his uncontrollable rage to his extramarital affair and even his hunger to collect the debts he is owed. These are all the traits we will one day see in the grown-up Tony. And this is where the film is at its most compelling. Seeing those two characters together is just electric. But the film eventually left me feeling a little cold. And there are a few reasons for this. Like there are Good decisions made in the film, but there are some decisions that I just wasn't really into, to be honest. To begin with, right from the get-go, there is a specific decision made that just did not work for me. And it ends up being a bit of a a framing device for the film. And I don't want to give it away, but it, it took me out of the experience. Because for me, The Sopranos was a story set firmly in reality. And... I know there were adventures where Tony dreamt of a totally different life, uh, you know, where he's a salesman, etc. But that could be easily explained, whereas this little framing device is just a tad supernatural for me. And it just doesn't, doesn't work for me. I'm not saying it won't work for you, but it didn't work for me. I enjoyed seeing younger versions of some of my favourite characters, but the actor who's playing Silvio... Just slightly problematic because he comes across as a comedic caricature more than the beginning of where that character would have begun. I personally would have dialed the mannerisms down a notch. I would have even maybe underplayed Silvio a little bit. I know he's a big character in the TV series, but that's later in life. And the problem with starting him too close to the end product is it sometimes feels like a caricature rather than a a proper performance. And it just, once again, every now and again, would remind me that I was watching a film. This will be my main issue going forward, that there's just moments that make me feel, uh, uh, that remind me, sorry, that I'm no longer watching, you know, something, a sprawling story, but I'm suddenly in a cinema. I think the main problem, though, is that 
there's just a tad too much going on. And that means the emotional connection is swamped. Dickie's story is intertwined with Harold McBrayer, played brilliantly by Leslie Odom Jr. But this is a new character that's never been mentioned in the series before. And this all ties into the race riots that take place during the civil rights movement. And while that is an incredibly interesting moment in history... It is dealt here in a shallow way that leaves it feeling more like an afterthought than a story to really sink your teeth into. I found the character of Harold absolutely compelling, but I I wanted more. I needed more from that character. And finally, there's also a character who turns out to be a twin, played by the same actor. And once again, this was a choice that didn't really work for me. Not the idea, but the way it is introduced. Having the actor suddenly appear for a second time as a different character... As I've said before, remind me I was watching a film, which is a real bummer when you're in the moment. I don't want to say that the film is terrible. It's nowhere near terrible. It's actually quite good. There are some inspired moments, including the wonderful Vera Farmiger playing Tony's mum, Livia. And I won't give away the choice that they make with her, but it is pitch perfect. Like, they nail it. They present her in a way that has serious ramifications to how we view the series right so it is inspired i wish the movie had chosen to follow this path more than the one it took i would have preferred a lot more of vera i would have preferred a lot more of tony's father it just felt like there was just a little bit too much going on and therefore we didn't quite get enough of all the bits that uh, we really really desired Overall, I was happy to return to the world of Sopranos, even if the film felt incohesive and a bit muddled. And in the end, I just wish it had been a limited series. I think we could really have had more time with each character. We could have let situations breathe a little bit more. There are so many great moments. There is one scene of pearl-clutching violence. It's like... I did get a bit squinty, you know, when something's so aggressive that you're like, oh, do I need to watch this? And there's enough twists and turns to make it worthwhile. And the, the ending is is pretty tasty as well. But as a whole, it didn't quite get there. And that's a shame. It, it feels like the movie never quite escapes the long shadow of one of the greatest and most important TV series ever. And there's many series that have never been able to escape that shadow. And it looks like this film, like some of those TV series, falls victim to that. But if they return to that world and they give us another series or they give us another movie, I'll be there. I'll still be there. The Sopranos. It's way too interesting just to leave here and hopefully we'll get more that fleshes out that world. Now it is time to bring in my good friend and comedian, AJ Lamarck. We recorded this around the time of the second Sydney lockdown finally coming to an end. So there will be some chat about where AJ is at before he talks to me about a fascinating figure in Egyptian history. Oh, I love all of this stuff and I'm so glad that I have AJ on hand to uh, teach me about this stuff. So this is a fun chat and let's just bring in AJ now. Classic big squid podcast scenario where my guest comes in and we start chatting and then it turns out to be really interesting and then I think Jesus we're like what am I doing start start the podcast <laughs> uh, so uh, you were just uh, telling me that yes. by the way I've just so you know at some point in the future I've recorded an intro 
Hence why I did not say, and here's AJ Lamar. Uh, <laughs> the, I, I like to do my podcast the way Christopher Nolan makes a film. That it's disjointed, <laughs> and for anyone listening, have a drink. But um, uh, you were just telling me, and I didn't know this, that uh, cinema numbers in Australia, in comparison to the rest of the world, have remained pretty steady. Yes, I'll have to go find the the link to that study and, and send it so people can access it. Because um, uh, typical millennial don't have a link at the moment. I just read it on an article somewhere, <laughs> and by read it on an article, it means I saw it at the title. Yep. I didn't click into the article, of course, and now I know everything. Yes, um, <laughs> that's how it works. Look, to be honest, I think you're overqualified because you even read the headline <laughs> <laughs> rather than just looking at the pitch and being like, "Oh, um, stock photos." Hey, eh? um, but yes, generally across other countries, when you know, going back from the days where you could get one, two, maybe five, because I'm from the UK, so you got five standard channels and that yes. was it. Yep. And then you got these digital boxes that were rolled out that expanded it to like maybe 15, 20. And if right. you could really afford it, you could get like a Foxtel and yep. you got so many more channels. And because of that steady introduction of more options, a lot of people in the States, a lot of people in the UK, um, other countries across the world, um, slowly declined in attendance from the right. cinema. Right. Um, but Australia generally held the trend of going to the cinema even though they still had all of those um capabilities at their home and at the laptops and computer and um which is quite interesting because you would never suspect out of all the countries if you said who would continue to go to the cinema i'd never i wouldn't pick australia as the first in my mind i maybe said the states you know it's a part of their pop culture to go to the cinema and go on a date with you know to the movies i may have rolled the dice on france oh that's true yes but other, yeah, no, I'm I'm a bit surprised as well, especially, you know, this is a country known for the great outdoors and people yeah. love going outside, you know, something that... Uh, it's the great outdoors indoors. Yes, <laughs> the, the last couple big... of years. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay, I think that's what it was way before COVID, so I yeah. think that would definitely affect numbers. But yeah. Um, yeah, we were just chatting actually before about at least my upbringing personally, it was such like a... A rare novelty it was like a, a thing um that as a kid felt very special to go yep. to the cinema yeah um in the same way that it kind of felt special to go to a blockbuster on a friday night and, yeah and you know go and have a debate with your family about which film you're watching and right. why you would rent that one and um yeah because we were just coming off the conversation about um some people don't see it as a cool thing to do or like oh. a, just yeah. it's just a hassle. Yeah, yeah. It's like oh no, I've got all the uh, equipment at home. Sound system's great. My TV's big. Why would I go to the cinema? Well, I'll tell you why. And Alexi and I talked about this on the Shang Chi podcast. Mm. But when we went to the cinema, we were sitting there, and on like one row back behind us, on our left hand side, was a guy who laughed at. Every joke, <laughs> like it was the best joke oh. they'd ever heard. And I thought Shang-Chi was a really funny film. Mm. In you know, the places that were funny were very funny. But I was intoxicated by how much fun <laughs> he was having. And yep. it made me laugh even more. And then that set off Alexi. And it's like, they're the things, like comedies, yep. comedy struggle without people yeah like i watched the i watched the latest version of suicide squad Mm. and i watched it by myself and i didn't really enjoy it that much i was actually pretty bored but i also in the movie's defense feel like if i'd seen it for the first time with an audience and they'd been laughing at stuff 
maybe I probably would have laughed at a few more things as yeah. well. But by myself, it was just a bit, whatevs, no big oops. Yeah, it is definitely that that aspect of actually spike hits free was on tv the other day and i was bored um this was before we had a really uh, relatively recent um reopening yep. here in new south wales and so it was like what am i else am i going to do on one of these endless days and so i was like, i'm just going to stick with spy kids free i grew up with spy kids oh yeah right um and like is that antonio banderas oh, and there's it's... so many celebrities it was yes. like, yeah just there was sylvester stallone they yes. had um george clooney in it yes um so many people um and it's robert rodriguez isn't it so yes. yeah you know banderas is one of my like he he's one of my favorite actors that I oh. never talk about like but it's it's you know from all the Pedro and Moldovar films mm. like Time Me Up Time Me Down and Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown when he was just this beautiful young man who yeah. looked unlike anybody else and then as he got older he just I don't know he just kind of got cooler and, and he's, it's quite timeless I yes. would say and he's and he's also just like one of those actors that can do anything like you see him in Spy Kids and you're like this is a very different film yeah. so like some of yeah. the other roles in which he's done where you're like you know and a lot of actors wouldn't do super like child like intended for children's yes. tv super campy and like yeah. simple and then do something really complicated and dark yeah um i forget the name in english but it's like the skin i live in oh yeah yeah you know you're yeah. going from that to like <laughs> like spot you know like these are very different and a lot of actors wouldn't actually be able to do those yeah and still come off as like you're a very good actor <laughs> you're a very good actor that movie is such a funny movie to me because it's one of those films like Years ago, uh, a friend of a friend who I who I'm friendly with, I don't know them that well, but we're all hanging out, and she said, oh, "I just hate Pedro Moldovar films." I said, "Really?" And it turned out she'd only ever seen uh, the skin I live in, and I went, "Oh yeah, no, you know what? I like, I loved it, but if you're not on board, yeah, what the fuck is happening? That's a very dark and twisted. Oh shit, right? It's very Spanish, very uh, Spanish, it's very Spanish. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. So when you were when you were a kid and mm. you said that going to the cinema was a treat, yes. Do you remember not necessarily what the first film was that you saw, Ooh. or uh, at least a film that, as a youngster, had a major effect on you? That is a very good question. I have a response, but not in a way it's probably questioned is um, supposed to be intended. But I remember my dad took my sister and I to see The Prisoner of Azkaban in cinema. Right. Kind of like, we're going to go out and do something, kids. And we were like, oh, this is really cool. Um, my dad's not remotely interested in any of the Harry Potter films. Um, and, you know, being part of those generations, we were kind of like, oh, this is so exciting. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's one of those times where you go, oh, you know what? Sometimes when I get annoyed with mum or people get annoyed with parents remember they have seen some shit that they are not interested in yes a lot a lot of it (laughs) a lot of it um (laughs) and sometimes they're more into it actually than uh you probably were at the time and a lot of people were very like adamantly into the wiggles um and you know (laughs) being like it's a really good song actually if you listen to the song it's a pretty good song Uh, right (laughs) um but he took us to see prison of azkaban and he fell asleep during the middle of it which is you know that's fine if he wasn't snoring so loud talking about the collective oh, audience no. experience so he's snoring really loud oh no and like we could hear people collectively like sighing and getting annoyed around oh. us and we were like oh like you know so we moved to de- instead of waking him up we moved a couple of seats down <laughs> and left him to him. I left him and then like he was full gone <laughs> he was deep into REM sleep and then he started making really audible farts like oh, very no. loud and like we just were like 
cringing with embarrassment at this. Papa and, Lamar, what are you doing? <laughs> and he was just, he was like, everybody else was like, oh my God. Right. <laughs> and so I don't remember the end of that film. Uh, right. I was a little caught up at the time. Yeah. Um, uh, this to... is way too much of a question, but since you've gone there, did it smell as well? Like, oh, were they smelly was, farts? It was or bad. They... Oh, it was God. bad. Um, you know, we didn't have the best diets. Let's uh, <laughs> put it like that. Um, and it was just like one of those things, you know, yeah, the collective audience experience can really heighten a film or bring it down. Or bring it down. Bring that it. is a fact. Like, you know, I would, uh, I rarely would see a movie on a Friday or a Saturday night. Mm. Like, I yeah. I would rather almost, uh, I'd almost rather an ex- uh, a Saturday afternoon, mm. uh, and if it's like a, like a blockbuster that kids could go to, I'd, I'd rather deal with excited kids than, uh, kind of like drunk adults yeah. in a cinema like a, a a movie that is you know a a brilliant and uh well regarded comedy is um knocked up hmm. and i my girlfriend and i at the time we had the worst experience in that cinema with you know Six couples come to see the film, you know, like, yeah. sorry, uh, uh, three couples together come to see the film, mm. you know, 15 minutes in, one's leaning over, do you do you want me to go and get some wine? And it's, oh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll have a, a Pinot. Honey, what do you want? What? What do you want? What? Oh, yeah, I'll have a Riesling. He'll ha- she'll have a Riesling. And you're like sitting there going, what the fuck? It's 15 minutes in. You, yeah, you've forgotten the plot and you're more right. caught up in the story of uh, how they're going to remember all the order. Are they going right. to come back with the wrong drink? Like, yeah. Yeah, they've written yeah. it down. That's where your mind's gone. Oh, my God. It's a disaster. <laughs> By the way, when you go back to the cinema, something that is important to take into account is that you've just spent months watching movies when you can go to the toilet whenever you want and like <laughs> be prepared that your bladder True. is not up to cinema fitness. Oh, gosh. Oh, poor, poor Alexi. Like, as, you know, as soon as the movie, he said on the podcast, as soon as the movie ended, he had to go to the toilet. <laughs> and as he's walking out, he could just see people looking at him going... This fucking idiot doesn't realise his after credit scenes. He's like, dude, I don't have time. I need to go to the toilet. And I have to be honest, my 49-year-old bladder was holding on and I was wrapped. There was a little part of me that was like, oh, yeah, the bladder still works. This is good. <laughs> but Gosh, there is was, so much to that. Yeah. It was full on. <laughs> it was a full on experience. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> and uh, how have you done uh, during, because by the way, uh, we're going to continue uh, delving into your love of Egyptology mm. and, uh, but I, uh, you've been working during lockdown. Yes. But you've been working from home mm. and uh is your partner working as well? Yes. And from home? Yes, both. Yeah, both working from home. And uh, how's that gone? Look, it's been all right. It's been not too bad. You know, I think, first of all, I'm I'm quite blessed to still have a job. And I work in arts admin as my full-time gig. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, to still have that job through a lockdown, you know, um, to count my blessings on that front. But part of me was kind of like, oh, you know, it would have been nice to have a little bit of time off. It seemed to ramp up during lockdown. Right. Because, uh, yeah, they kind of wanted to overhaul everything and go, this is a good right. time, now we've got space, and then the space disappears quite quickly. Um, and so I ended up coming out of lockdown just being a bit more frazzled by work. Right. Rather than being like, oh, it was good to have a bit of low time to yeah. get back into things, which I imagine a lot of people might have done. Yeah. Um, I just... <laughs> So it was less working from home with a partner and being like, how are we managing, you know, the space and dividing that up and detaching from work 
to like relaxation it yeah. was more just like oh, i need a holiday and not just because i need to get out of my house i, I could stay in my house just give me just yeah. don't email me yeah uh, <laughs> so do, were you still working full-time or yep. yeah far out because um, i was i've been lucky because i've been working on a couple of projects ostensibly part-time mm, but part-time to get a lot of part-times together yeah uh Actually, uh, one after the other. So I was pretty lucky, okay. like, uh, working on Question Everything finished yep. on the Friday, and then I started on The Chase on the Tuesday. Yeah. And then I imagine in that time you were reading pre-notes and... Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. So you're like, you're not working, quote-unquote. No, but, but kind, of, uh, kind of getting prepped, but also a weirdly uh, part-time, kind of felt full-time, because yeah. there's no going into an office there's no nine to five anymore yeah. and it's uh i had to be really strict with myself not to mm. just be working all the time yeah like i had to be right on top of it because otherwise it's like oh it's 11 p.m and i still seem to be piss farting about like you know yeah. make sure that you differentiate that time what did you do i'm, I'm curious how big is your place and what did you do mm. when you both had work calls um, well, fortunately, last year when the first COVID um, lockdowns hit um, everyone um, across the globe, but also in Sydney, um, we were in a much smaller place. And so it was a lot more tense um, in terms of just having to like really whisper on Zoom meetings right. because the other person had to also whisper right. in case, you know, two companies that had nothing to do with each other <laughs> were finding out a lot about what was going on in the other ones. Yeah. Um, but this time our place was a bit bigger. We, uh, the the one of the good things for, about COVID is it drove down rental prices in Australia because um, there was a lot less competition because right. there was a lot less internationals coming in because yep. they physically couldn't, which means Airbnb places then put their places up for rent, which right. flooded the market, which meant that a lot of prices had to decrease overall. So we managed right. to go from what was a bargain at the time of this kind of one bedroom box place in Redfern um we managed to then get a two-bedroom place not too far um in Surrey Hills and it's been nicer so I've I've had a a whole room you know to close the door and be like this is my space great my partner uses the kind of dining room table and it's quite comfortable there and so we do have our like spots during the day where we can be like door closed yeah that's good yes that's a relief it is it's it's been nice to have that because beforehand we did have a door but it was just wafer thin and it yeah. was back to back oh yeah um, right <laughs> yeah that's you know you don't want to be having an important meeting and also be cognizant of the fact that you might be too loud yeah well one of my co-workers actually um their partner works in oh, it's some sort of therapy. I'm not sure if it's psychological or, or another form of, of therapy work. Um, but they were whispering on Zoom the other day because they were like, oh, they've got a client and they're having a meeting with a client about presumably topics that are quite sensitive. Right. And then next door, you've got someone talking about, oh, when are we going to get this marketing thing online? Yeah. <laughs> you know, during when yeah. you're like, you know, you're pouring your heart out to yeah. someone in a safe, like medical therapeutic sense. Um, yeah. And you've got someone next door who's like, I don't want to listen, but I'm like... I have no choice, but yeah. I just really keep really quiet. There's nowhere I can go. <laughs> uh, are you allowed to talk about what you did a couple of Fridays ago? Um, yes. Because you did, uh, you filmed an advert. Oh, uh, yes. So, yeah, I filmed an advert. It was on the weekend, actually. Um, and, yeah, I filmed an advert that's coming out soon. And that was fun because um, we met, I think, a couple of days before that. Um, 
And yeah, I was filling you in on the brief. So I, like, I, I get thrown a few auditions, which is great. Um, and so they all tend to blur into one. And then my agent called me and was like, oh, you know, you managed to secure this role. And I was like, oh, great. I'm just going to like have to quickly jump online. Whilst I'm excited about it, I was like, I can't remember which one it is. And what, right. is, what does it involve? Because, yep. you know, there was one involving pretending to clean up eccentrically. And then another one talking to camera very seriously. Right. You know? And so you're like, they all blur into one. Yeah. Um, so I was like, oh, great. What is this? Um, and looked up and I was like, oh, it was for like a, a you know, trendy dancer, looks nice, but is uncool. And I was oh, just like, yeah, I was like, wow, <laughs> way to punch someone in the gut. Be like, oh, we love you. We think you're perfect. You've got yeah. the job. Yeah. You look uncool. You look so uncool. <laughs> but you're nice. You're yeah. Nice. <laughs> like, why are you taking offense to this? Um, which is, I just thought it was hilarious. Um, I, I, I like, I've always thought about these <laughs> things like, like, I've always thought about these things once I understood the concept of casting. So, you know, yes. like as a kid, you just, they're actors, blah, blah, blah. And then you, after a while, you go, oh, they have to pick people who are correct for roles. Yeah. And then once you have that cognizant thought, sometimes you can be watching a movie and there's a, there's a character who's really obese and it's played by a really obese person. Hmm. And you think, who, like, what's worse? Like yeah. getting the role for the obese person or being rejected for not being obese enough? <laughs> Like, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's like, it, I, it totally. I wonder what it does for people. It, and it's, it's like, I remember a scene in, um, Goldmember, Austin Powers, um, yeah. And there's a scene where Mike Myers' character, Austin Powers, is taking the mick out of someone who has a mole on their face. I'm not sure if you remember <laughs> yeah, this. And it's I, a yeah. probably, I wouldn't say, a solid minute. And, yeah. I, and, and I know it sounds, doesn't sound like a long time, but in film no, time, no, it's a long when it's time. a 90-minute film, a whole minute dedicated to taking the mickey out to of... one mole. To one person's facial feature. Yeah. And it's exactly that. You're yeah. like, a lot of people would have got rejected because their mole wasn't moly enough. Right. And then you got hired because yeah. your mole is perfect for someone to take Mickey out of yeah. yeah yeah and i was like oh like when we, when we were like thinking about that i was like oh that poor poor person and it, like it could have been fake you know could have been fake i don't know but i was just like i may i hope it is but also did someone miss out on a role who because, had a mole right well uh, it, it, it's, it's also the the, uh, the woman in uncle buck where he he's mm. so obsessed with it he introduces himself as buck melanoma which is a funny <laughs> joke but it's like you know it's also the it's like um you know uh, actors and actresses who mm. appear in adverts for you know Oh no, I've got genital warts. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> you're, oh you're the genital warts girl. Is there something that <laughs> what would what would be the advert that you would be like, you are going to have to pony up an extraordinary amount of money for me to say yes oh, to that. Oh, gosh. What would you be is... most afraid of? Especially you... as a stand-up comedian, because in the back of your head, yes. wouldn't there be just a tiny part of you every time you walked on stage when that advert was on, absolutely yep. prepared for someone to yell out, that's the fucking genital walk guy. <laughs> I, do you know what? In this current context, I would say it'd have to be an anti-vaxxer. Like be getting oh, an a anti role, vaccine, like, like uh, yeah. If there was a commercial yeah. or something that required you to pretend to be an anti-vaxxer, right. even if it was clearly a satirical take, yeah, a lot of people would or, not read. Or you, like, being used as an example of, hey, yeah. don't be this person. Exactly. You know, you all seen those adverts. Yeah, it's like. Um, well, it's actually interesting because I part of my when I went to high school it was in the same town um, that. EastEnders in the UK is filmed. Yeah. Um, Elstree Film Studios was quite... It's it's much smaller now, but used to be quite a massive 
production studios in the UK. Um, now kind of does a lot of reality TV and um, EastEnders, Holby yep. City. Um, he wants to be a millionaire. I think was on there. A lot of those types of shows. And um, it was actually a problem that the cast faced because you know they would go out from the studio a lot, and a lot of them would go and do their shopping in town on their lunch breaks. They've got you know a break between two to five because of whatever. Um, and even though they were clearly characters on the show, and most you know logical people would be like, "You are playing the role of X." Um, they used to get if they were a villain their lives would be pretty much turned upside down. Oh, yeah. Because people would, you know, react to them in a supermarket like yeah. they were evil Gary, um, yes. who's, you know, psychologically manipulating this other character. Um, and they would treat them like they were the real people. People yes. would act like, I would walk around the supermarket and see someone yelling at someone and be like, what's going on here? And they're yeah. like, how dare you do that to Tracy? And you're yeah. like, that's, that it's all, it's fake, darling. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> you, you like, know, the, uh, a friend of mine worked on Neighbours and used oh, yeah. to... She didn't get so much that, but she used mm. to get people coming up to her in the, in the supermarket and saying, I don't know why you're sticking with such and such because he is cheating on you. And she'd say, okay. <laughs> Just, oh, look, not only are we three months ahead of where you are, because yeah. uh, we record much earlier, but yeah. also, I'm not... Re- that, not real. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, um, like, I don't want to ruin the magic, but I also read the script. And I know what he is up to, but it's fictional. So uh, what you were saying, I just, uh, I wasn't being rude when I was typing then, no, no, no. but I had to look up, uh, I, I couldn't quite remember who it was, but um, uh, the only person, the only actor I think was to kill John Wayne in a movie mm. was uh, an actor called Bruce Dern. Mm. Uh very popular actor last seen I think in I think he ended up taking the role that Burt Reynolds was meant to have in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood oh. uh, did you see that? no I have yep. he's uh, if you watch it he's the older gentleman on the Manson uh, Ranch hmm. if you see it but anyway um, you know like and John Wayne even said hey you gotta be prepared there's going to be consequences for this uh, they're going to hate you for this and for years he had to deal with yeah. people going you fucking killed John Wayne mate <laughs> it's like I'm an actor it's like I'm an actor it's not real same with um, I forget the gentleman's name who played Joffrey in Game of Thrones oh, absolutely yeah. vilified like I yeah. think they're struggling to find fortunately their accent day to day is is like if, uh, he's from Ireland so yes. he actually has an Irish accent and it's very detached so he doesn't sound like which yes. probably helps but yes it struggles. But he was so good, you know. It's, it's so good at being bad. See, like if people were <laughs> fans of Batman Begins, they would have seen him as a little kid in that. And, and they then, forgiven him. And then I, when I see him as Joffrey, I go, it's the kid from Batman Begins. So I have a lot of uh, affection for him still. But I, I remember yeah. all the actors. It, it seemed like a concerted effort by all of the actors to any time he was brought up in an interview to say, he's a delight. He's yeah. lovely to work with. He's good fun. He's such a nice guy. But yep. Joffrey, what a steaming pile of shit, right? Yeah. And that would be a fun... Like, if you took out the fact that you had to deal with people afterwards, that, yeah. to me... <laughs> I feel that way about like a lot being, of things. <laughs> <laughs> if you took out people, life would be fine. Um, but, oh, playing a villain. Yeah. Villains have the most fun. Right. I think villains are like... Would that be your key role? Like, is, oh, that, is that your dream role? Oh, yes. I'd love... Like, any... Like, I think the cool... Vi- like, not a dumb villain. You know, you've got to have a villain. Because if you look at most, like, you know, Disney-esque or, like, kind of basic storylines where mm. they've got good guy, bad guy, dynamic, mm. or whatever gender, but you know what I mean. Um, like, the villain usually has quite a moralistic 
starts just done in the wrong way like if you look yes. at um the batman series um you know penguin just wants to stop global warming i think right. is his ultimate motive right he's right. died in a very bad way right but like ultimately morally quite good well um, yeah <laughs> well that's you know that's thanos saying the universe yeah. only has a finite amount of resources so if i get rid of half the universe then we'll have more resources and you think <laughs> you're insane you're insane but i think it's the wrong way but you you know you, you your compass your moral yeah. compass is slightly in the right direction Heath ledger's joker is yep. a perfect example of you're sitting there going this person is horrific but there are truths to what he talks about like you mm. know he says i i threaten one mayor and everyone loses their mind but a whole truckload of soldiers gets killed in a war zone and we all just kind of oh yeah okay mm. i think there was um uh, uh look i might be mildly wrong with this because i haven't thought i haven't watched this in a long time but i remember uh, vaguely uh, an eddie izzard routine where mm. it's sort of like you know, oh, they killed they killed four people. Oh, they're terrible. Oh, what a horrible person! And then this person, as a as a general, killed two hundred fifty thousand people. And you go, I can't cope with that. I cannot get my head around mm. it. And whatever, <laughs> it's too much. Like it's yep. just too much for you to be able to compute and yep. be able to understand and to rationalize. So okay, so you're playing a villain. Yes. Okay, we've we've oh, cast you a in villain. a movie. Yes, you don't have General DeWaltz. <laughs> Like, thank goodness. But I am no, no, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. But, yeah, uh, and you're not an anti-vaxxer and you're cool. <laughs> cool. Right? So, so, all of it, so it's all positive and you get to be a villain. Yeah. What style, what genre Ooh. of film? We'll, we'll, we'll work it out. Yeah. What, what genre of film? Oh, I... Do you know what? I think I would have to go for some James Bond-esque villain. They... I am rat because yes. if you were stumped, I was about to say, what about a Bond villain? So I was. So we're both on the same we're wavelength. On the same this wavelength. is great. Because they just have the best of both worlds, I think, yeah. as a villain. Like, they started off quite eccentric. And, like, the early Bond films are very campy, yeah. um, very comedic, which I kind of like, and then they fizzled out to be more of this dark inner turmoil, you know, like... Well, they, they it wavers, doesn't it? Yeah. Because it kind of... It starts off a little bit grim and gritty, and then he's silly, and he's in space, and now we're going to get back to being a bit grim <laughs> and gritty, and now his car's invisible. Yeah, and it's like, where are we at? Yeah. Um, but also... Generally, they have quite a lot of, you know, they have quite a lot of power and money to begin with. Oh, yeah. I'd like to start there. I don't want this whole, you know, was desolate at the beginning and spent most of their life, then had one year when they cracked it and had a no, lot of money. No, no, no. no, no. I you, want... You, you want good suits. You've got yeah. to, you, you got to be in a good time. suit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so are you a villain? So you're a villain in a Bond movie. Yes. You've got all the money. Yeah. Oh, are yeah. you... Is your character well-known or is your character in the shadows? Oh, I think egotistically I would have to be well-known. Oh, yeah, great, great. I would love to be, yeah. So nobody knows. In the general public, they just see you as a a philanthropist who's doing all these things, but behind the scenes, you're terrible. Yes. Okay, what's what's your motivation? I think my motivation would be... um, Oh, there's so many good motivations out there. I think I'm anti-capitalist. I'm anti-corporate, yeah. but I love it. You know what I yeah. mean? It's kind of like the person who starts off being like, I'm going to bring it all down, yeah. then gets absorbed by it and yeah. becomes the very thing that they try to bring down. Oh, yeah. 
I like that duality. Um, yeah. You know, trying to bring down the, the stock market and leave everybody, you know, right. who believed in this system and try and take it away Yeah. Um, by gaining more power and right. gaining affluence and influence over everything too. So there's a, there's a really... So there's a so there's a good argument. Yep. Capitalism has not been good for the poor. Mm-hmm. Capitalism has kept uh, minorities and 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 poor people grounded mm-hmm. and uh, they haven't been able to achieve what they should be allowed to achieve. So in some way it sounds noble. Yep. But you're a hypocrite. Yes. Because you also believe you're the only person who is correct. I've done it right. Yeah. I've done anti-capitalism right. Yeah. <laughs> what, what are you doing to uh, bring down capitalism? Oh. It, do, what's our MacGuffin? Do we have, a, <laughs> do we have a, a computer algorithm on a USB stick that once plugged in will wipe out the economy? Oh, I like that. I also kind of like, oh, what's it... Um... Trading places, that type of, you know, sneaky trade deal, set everybody up to invest in this one thing. Yeah. All or nothing. Yeah. It's false information. Everybody just loses millions of dollars at one time. Yeah. Um, But of course, the information is carried in just a briefcase. The real information, because, you know, why would you secure anything um, when someone could intervene and intercept? You've got all this money. You've got a nice briefcase. (laughs) You've got to to show it off. Got to get some airtime. Right. Got all these briefcases put away. It's like I've got to, got to use them. Yeah. Otherwise, might as well send them to Goodwill. <laughs> Great. And and uh, what kind of bond? Like, so we don't know who the next mm, bond is true. going to be. So what what kind of bond do you want to go up against? You want to go up against the genuinely like hyper masculine Sean Connery, Daniel Craig type. Do you want to go up uh, against the kind of handsome and a bit you know, cheesy uh, Pierce Brosnan, Roger Moore type. Where are you Ooh. at? I think it would sting more for the villain's journey to have someone who was a bit less traditionally set to win, yeah. which I think would be that Pierce Brosnan, Brosnan, yeah. Pierce Brosnan um, type character. Still yeah. a little bit wins, but it's so daggy that you kind of, it's just salt to the yeah. wound, you know? And you're just like... I laid everything out well, yeah, <laughs> including my briefcases. Yeah, I put the locks on them to oh, make sure, like but all of them. <laughs> and do you do you get killed off in the end, or do you do you escape? And the last thing we see of you is somewhere rubbing your hands with the next phase of your plan. Like you, you had a contingency plan. Oh, yeah, I'm on that secret island, you know, yeah. that Michael Jackson didn't die. He went to, oh, to yeah. live out. You know, Tupac went there. They didn't. Yeah. These people didn't die. Yeah. They all went to this mysterious island. Holy which, shit, uh, imagine yeah. that as an after credit scene <laughs> where it's you on an island and, like, the camera's panning past Prince, Bowie, <laughs> Carrie Fisher, George Michael, Tupac. It's the, yeah, it's and the... It's you... <laughs> The mastermind villain. It's the millionaire retirement scheme. Yeah. You don't go to a home. You go to an island and yeah. they fake your death in the medium. Yeah. Um, you just have a bit of peace and quiet. As if one of those things exists. <laughs> oh, hang on. It looks like there might be. Like... Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Offshore retirement homes. Yeah. I love it. That's great. <laughs> are, you, are you excited for the new Bond film? Um, do you know what? Like, my partner is very, very into the Bond films. Uh, yeah. A bit more than me. I like them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I'm not as excited because I feel like I lost the momentum. It was going to come out, it was here, and then it wasn't here, then it got pushed back, and then, you know, and you kind yeah. of... I've just forgotten, to be yeah. honest about it. And when it's here, I think I'll have a different uh, attitude towards it. Yeah. But to me, it's the same as kind of like a film that, you know, from the 90s. I'm like, yeah. it's so detached from me right now that I yeah. don't have that excitement. I kind of checked out a little bit. Uh, uh, I, not from the movie because I was pretty curious to see how they're going to wrap up Daniel Craig's Mm. you know we have a precedent now with uh, you know like uh, Nolan putting an ending to a uh, a Batman story and Mm. I'm just a bit curious I wonder if they're going to put an end and then the next Bond will be almost like a a soft reboot or something like that so I'm I'm curious about that I'm uh, I, I feel like like we're recording this the day after Alexi and I saw Shang Chi, and I think maybe I'm now that I've been to the cinema, I'm pumped for it. Mm. But beforehand, it was almost like it's like when you're a kid and it's August, and you're thinking, "Well, what's the point of thinking about Christmas? It's yep. like it's seven it's years so away." Far. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so much can happen, and yeah. it can. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I totally agree. It's a bit... And also, I kind of have a little bit, you know, being a Doctor Who fan as well, they come out and they start talking about who the next one is Mm. and they haven't even finished it. And I get they do that because, you know, uh, timelines and everything like that and things would get leaked anyway. But I'm just kind of like, I want to see... I'm I'm on this bit. Yeah. Like, I don't... I don't want to see how they're irrelevant anymore. <laughs> and yeah. like, you know, we're moving on now. It's the same with, you know, Jodie Foster is uh, spoilers. Um, leave me, it was not spoilers. Uh, it's out there too. Um, leaving Jodie Whittaker. Who... Oh, yes. yes yeah, yeah, Jodie yeah. Foster. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jodie like, Foster and Doctor I, I, Who. I felt like you were accidentally dropping a, like, a, 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 a news flash. <laughs> Jodie Foster is a new That would be a very interesting spinoff. Um, I would be here for it. But Jodie Whittaker, sorry, yeah. you absolutely adore. I think she's great. Um, yeah, she's leaving and... Her final season isn't even like I think this week is her final week filming for right, Doctor Who. Right? Yeah, it's weird. We haven't even seen the season. Yeah. So there's this weird. Uh, I haven't once again. It's something that I've checked out of, mm. uh, and am only now starting to kind of pay attention to because it's going to yeah. start on first uh, of November. But I think there's. I think it was meant to be an eight episode season. I think yeah. we're going to get six. And then I think they're going to make the other two specials, and then and in they the, do it at Christmas and yeah, years, maybe I think, something yeah. like that. But yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, so my criticism of the Marvel films has been that sometimes it feels like you're sitting through a two-hour trailer to get to the after-credit scene. Yeah, and it, it's it's always it's always about what's next. Yeah. Ben, ben Elwood and I talk about this a lot, and it's like, no, 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 let's just stay. Yeah, like I. I I don't give a fuck about who the next Doctor is because I'm not finished with this one. I want to be finished with this one and then go, okay, right. Yeah. Surprise me. Rather than being like, oh, look, here's the clue that something bad is going to happen. She's going to have a slightly off-camera look and glance about something ominous coming. And we all know, I'm spending, yeah, the six episodes going, oh, 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 yeah, it's probably going to be that thing, isn't it? Okay, let's see them slowly build up to that thing, which we all know is coming. And that's what they've dedicated the entire season to. Yeah. Do you have any preferences for uh, not necessarily a particular person, but what type of actor or actress you'd like to see take over the role? Do you want, uh, do we want another, should we have another female doctor and Mm. and kind of go back to back? Do we go back to a guy? Do we, uh, yeah, do we go Dr. Dr. Ruth? Do we go to, do we bring her in? Doc Martin. Um, uh, it's interesting because I quite, I didn't realize how similar the previous doctors were until 
Jodie Whittaker played the role. And right. I kind of got this set because they were all very assured of themselves, very confident, very like high bravado, not in the typical masculine ways. I, you know, they're no James Bond, mm. um, but they were very much like, I'm right, steam ahead. And oh, Jodie's yeah. character interpretation of it was a bit less in yeah. your face, I'm so smart. And I was like, oh, like I didn't realize. Yeah. But now I've experienced a difference and I'm kind of like, oh, it feels less in your face. And yeah. I kind of like that. Yeah. I like the fact that I'm not being alien-splained yeah. um, all <laughs> alien the time yeah, about, yeah. you know, clearly you're going to wrap it up by inventing a couple of things to justify the end conclusion of the storyline. Yeah. Um, and so I, I kind of... Reg- yeah, I don't have a particular identity in terms of, you know, how that should be portrayed, but I kind of like this less full-on I'm right and more this uh, this character who's a bit more humble and a bit more real. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, it feels like it's, uh, you know, like I love, like Tenon is the... Mm. The, oh, the, he's beautiful. The, Love the, him. But also the classic dick-swinging doctor. Yeah. Like, he is. Like, that's the doctor getting up in the morning, looking in the mirror and going, now this regeneration, look at me. I look great. Yeah. I am great. And to the point where he couldn't literally let himself go. He was so yeah. absorbed yeah. with himself. Yeah. His last line was, I don't want to go. Yeah, yeah. Which was kind of fascinating. Yeah. And then you get the, uh, like, Christopher Eccleston one. It's a shame we only ever got one season, but you look back and you go, oh, yeah, that doctor has PTSD. So yeah. that was interesting. Yeah. It's like him trying to get back on track, which makes the tenant doctor make sense. Yeah. You know, oh, it's almost like I've gotten over that. Then Matt Smith, he's, um, it's so funny that the, the, at the time, the oldest doctor and the youngest looking body and, uh, the, the, oh, the yeah. weirdness of that. <laughs> and then Capaldi, uh, I feel like they didn't quite. No, they didn't realise Capaldi's the last season. Yeah. And then suddenly they were like, oh, you know what we should do? Give him speeches. And you know why we should give him speeches? Because he's Peter fucking Capaldi (laughs) and he can nail them. So, yeah, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. Sometimes I got a little bit frustrated with the writing for Jodie Whittaker Um, because I mm. love her. Yes. Uh, and I love her betrayal. Yeah. But sometimes I do want her to be the smartest person in the room. And it it kind of frustrated me a little bit Mm. that... I like your interpretation of that, though. But for me, there were just times where it's like, well, why can't she? Why can't she be the smartest person in the room? Like, mm. you know, like taking yeah. a little bit more control. And also, I don't know why. I was just a little bit. There was only. I only realized this in one episode. Mm. But she's really sexless. And I. Like, I'm not saying that's wrong. Mm. But there was the episode with Nicholas Tesla. And. Yes. That to me, uh, and uh, Goran Vizic, who was in ER, who played Tesla, I felt like like a, a missed opportunity for a little bit of romance, just for a little bit of a like something, a, a, little, a little bit of flirting or something. It's Nicholas Tesla. Mm. Like, wouldn't of all the people the Doctor might be attracted to, it's Tesla. <laughs> You know, it's interesting because the whole season with Jodie, and maybe it changes. Who knows? Um, but I think maybe they took that direction for the whole series. Mm. I think, and and again, this is me just purely speculating. But they kind of got themselves into a bit of a problem where the Doctor 
had a companion mm. and it was romance. And then yes. they tried to defeat it with Catherine Tate, which I think they did really well. They moved yes. it platonically. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then that it great started... scene with uh, Tenet saying, I just want a mate. Oh, <laughs> no, I just want a mate. Oh, she was the best companion <laughs> in my opinion. So um, and, and, and it worked. And I think they saw that. And then they kind of went back with um, Clara Oswald and it kind of had this tinge of like you know slight attraction and Amy and Doctor also had that weird you know a couple of episodes in but they uh, and then they kind of ditch it again they did yeah that was good they it was like there always seems to be a hangover from the previous Doctor for for the first few episodes yeah and then it's like there's this moment when they kind of realise no no this is the Doctor and it's not they don't have those qualities and that was always felt mm. like a hangover from Tenet yeah. and then it was like no 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 this Matt Smith Doctor is it's a different one he's it's eccentric t- <laughs> he's, he doesn't have time for romance he's you know yeah. too busy being old man grumpy oh, about exactly. things and so I wonder and, and Peter Capaldi didn't oh, maybe it was a little I don't know I don't feel I feel like they may have started to try and be like how do we Capaldi didn't have anything he, yeah. he, had, he had some river, but he had some River Song stuff yeah. which was quite nice and romantic um, but I, I think know. they tried to detach themselves maybe from any romance stories, especially with the companions. They were kind of like, they were like relationships, yes, obviously, but, you know, it was a grand step-grandfather yeah. and stepson, like yeah. friends, family, mother, yeah. grandmother. Um, I think maybe they were like, let's see what happens when we don't do romance as a narrative driver. Yeah. And I think potentially it might have been... Less so about Jodie's character and more so about Jodie's era. Yeah. About going, what do we do when we don't have that? Yeah. Maybe the reinvention of this season might have that. Yeah. I don't know. But that's kind of my speculations because they, they ended up I being I think you're like, probably right. Because it was copy, rinse, repeat. They tried to do with Martha the same with Ro. And it, you right. know, it's, I, to me, it felt like, oh, you're just going to, you're going to have to do the same plot points. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the Martha thing's interesting because she has mm. the crush on Tennant and then he doesn't reciprocate, yeah. which is kind of fascinating. But yeah, look, I, I don't mind that as a as an overall choice. I just, it, it, that was, I get it, what you the Tesla's episode was like, oh, this would be nice. And then I was like, oh, I feel like, <laughs> why, why, did, why did you... Why, oh, I have a crush on him. Why did, <laughs> why, why, why did you uh, hire Goran? Like, he's yeah. super handsome and charismatic. And he's he's yeah. he's a brilliant scientist. Oh, this, doesn't and, this feel like yeah. some kissy kissy time? <laughs> and, I, and, and I know what you mean though. Now looking back and thinking about the episodes, there is one point where I just kind of wanted Jody to be like, "I am the bomb," even yes. if it was just once. Yes, to do one of those, you know, David Tennant's on the the Titanic. Yes. I am blah blah blah, thousands yeah. years old. I have seen the rise of you know. I just yeah. wanted one of those. So you can go, yeah, Jody, get e- it. Even if she undercut <laughs> it at the end, like gave it like one of those cracking speeches, and then you know. A little bit of a or something you know, like that you've you seen know, ocean, like, yeah yeah yes, yes or, or something whatever like you know that. Yeah. something like that uh, or have you boom, have you seen oceans 11 yes yeah the great moment where Clooney gives the speech to fit and then they pause and he's like how was that did i rush it and Pitt's like no no it was good <laughs> <That's> great. <laughs> yeah great <laughs> yes um but hey there's still a season we there's can still a season 
we can we can get there. Yeah, fingers crossed. I hope it's good. Well, I got you on. Uh, you know, we've been talking about uh, having you uh, come back on the podcast on a semi regular basis. To uh, the the stuff that you've talked about, Egypt has been a massive hit. Like uh, so many of the listeners uh, have written to me and talked about how fascinating they find it. My uh, one of my producers on the chase uh, was a big fan of yours, <laughs> and so I thought I'll get you back on. And uh, I thought I'll have a little chat to you before we uh, get into it. And anyway, forty five minutes later let's get to it <laughs> hilarious let's do it remember i said to you uh, i think the last time you came over to uh, record and it was like we'll just chat for half an hour and then your poor boyfriend's going where are you it's like we're gas baggers it's, it's, <laughs> um, but uh i had uh, who are you talking about Today, today's episode of Egyptology with AJ. Yeah. Uh, I forgot. I forgot. I forgot yeah, a good radio right. voice there. Um, I'll make you a little sting. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, love it. Um, have it as my ringtone. Um, <laughs> so I thought today I would talk about. I'm always I always play for the underdog, um, and not like just in a devil's advocate way, but also in a way that like I think, you know, especially when it comes to female pharaohs um, of Egypt. I think a lot of people would automatically go Cleopatra. Mm-hmm. And then probably following Cleopatra, you might think Nefertiti. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, you might be like... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, they are the exact noises I made when I tried to... <laughs> when, you, when you sent me who you were going to talk about, I was like, oh, I have no idea who this person is. Teamwork. Um, <laughs> yes, and so I thought I would talk about that because it was interesting. Sorry, for anyone who's listening wondering what just happened then, I have a water jug that has a deceptively tough top to turn around. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is the nemesis of Ben Elwood, who, who has, uh, as I was telling you we before... We have the same enemy, apparently. Yes, well, we have recorded hundreds of hours of podcasts <clears throat> together and he still doesn't quite know how to do that Rubik's Cube of a water jug. <laughs> it's not a Rubik's Cube. <laughs> it, you know, but it's, it's up there. It's pretty yeah. tough. You need it a hierarchy. It's pretty tough, yeah. Um, so, uh, yes. sorry, I interrupted. <laughs> so, yes, so today I thought I would talk about the Pharaoh Hatshepsut. Um, spelled hat, shep, S-H-E-P, yep. um, H-U-T, I think. Um, Hatshepsut. Hatshepsut. Right. Um, probably butchering the name because obviously very little people, well, very, yeah. no one knows how they're actually pronounced. Yeah. Um, but Hatshepsut has an interesting history in terms of Egyptology <clears throat> because she, like, you know, many um, females in history who have risen to positions that traditionally males have held Mm. um you know later on generations try to erase that um through varying different reasons um and the same goes for a chipset um and that's what i find quite interesting because it's this whole kind of um there's enough information to understand the core basis of what's happened during her lifetime but not enough to know the whys and again this is one of the reasons why i love egyptology because it is so open to interpretation for every person who says this is probably the reason why this happened there is you know an equal amount of other people saying well i don't really i wouldn't agree with that based on this that and the other right um so to place it in time so hatshepsut's reign was kind of about roughly 1500 years bc yep it's the relative beginning of the new kingdom. Um, Egyptian society is historically categorized by us by three kingdoms, the old kingdom, 
which is iconic for its pyramid building. Yep. Um, the Middle Kingdom, um, which was doing fine. And the New Kingdom, um, which is kind of uh, after the collapse of the Middle Kingdom, has seen a, a new growth. Um, right. A new, you know, um, revitalization of the Egyptian Empire and albeit very different from the Old Kingdom. Yep. Um, but still, it's kind of seen like a golden era. Right. And that, and that is the same kind of um, dynasty, I believe, this 18th dynasty, um, that has, you know, Tutankhamun in that kind of family line and stuff. So we're talking relatively recently. Yep. Um, and Hatshepsut is the stepmother. Um, they're all inbred. But uh, yeah. <laughs> stepmother, half-sister, you know. Yeah. Um, third cousin. Exactly. Yeah. Of uh, Tutmosis the Third. Right. Um, son of Tutmosis the Second. Yep. Son of Tutmosis the First. Right. Uh, spoilers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and typically at that time, you know, uh, again, a lot of inbreeding with yep. the Egyptian family circles. Um, and a lot of ailments that a lot of them have just because of that. You know, we know, uh, obviously, from Tutankhamun being the obvious case where the the body was found and it was kind of the bones were poorly developed for a, what would have been a 13-year-old boy. Yeah. Oh, no, a bit older than that. Um, but, you know, like very malformed. The same goes with most of this family line. Um, and so a lot of people die young. Right. Long, too long, don't read. A lot of people die young. Um, so goes from Tutmosis the second to Tutmosis the third, but he's too young and kind of in that traditional regency um, type role. Um, Hatshepsut steps in to look after the kingdom until Tutmosis the third is old enough to reign on their own. Right. So does that make her. So is she a pharaoh or is she a regent? She would have been like a queen regent equivalent right? Um, at that time and in that role. Right. Um, and that happened many times before. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was quite a common thing. Just like it is in when you look back at medieval Europe, that's yep. quite a common thing. Um, in the Middle East, very common as well. Um, and, yeah, so she has this role for a while. And, it, and it's pretty clear from what they can find in terms of excavations that she held this role. Right. And then the interpretations of her start to change. And this is kind of an interesting aspect when you look at gender and the role of gender. Um, So she starts to adorn herself with titles that are more associated with a pharaoh than a queen region. Right. Um, And so after like about seven years in that role, you start to see the kind of aspects of her titles becoming more grandiose. Right. More um, authoritarian in terms of how you're represented. And to the point where um, certain representations of her in hieroglyphs and in in monuments and everything like that become the masculine. They no longer return to her as she. It is he is the light giver he is the etc right um and interestingly that only lasts for a a few years before it seems to go back to referring to she again right um and by this time most of the third is old enough to reign but it's kind of speculated for different reasons but being a pharaoh it's generally considered a bit of a lifelong job um and she doesn't give up that power she even took most of the third is eligible in age to rule as a pharaoh that doesn't happen. Right. She is continuing to reign. She reigns for just shy of two decades. Right. Um, is that, what's, what's that like? Is that, a, is that a long reign? Is that a short reign? Average? That's pretty... Like, 
considering the lifetime, it's pretty long. Yep. Uh, especially for someone who is not supposed to be doing that. Um, oh, yeah. When you put it that way, <laughs> right. For someone who was supposed to be the supply teacher, yeah. um, you've, you've taken the class from year seven to year 12. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And it's also like, okay, well, I'll just put my bags down then and wait on the chair patiently yeah. until you're yep. ready. Yep. Oh, you've not finished speaking? Okay, cool. Oh, fair um, enough. <laughs> um, and overall, she's considered to have a really prosperous reign. Right. So it's not kind of one of these things that has taken control and the kingdom has fallen apart. Um, it's considered that at the time, you know, the prosperity of Egypt grew. Yep. Um, not much military activity, which is kind of rare for Egypt, but some minor skirmishes, which they've won yep. um, against the people called the Punt, P-U-N-T, uh, <laughs> right. um, which they is a kind of kingdom presumed to be south of Egypt. Um, overall, a lot of stability in terms of that era in history. Yeah. Um, and so relatively seen as quite a successful reign. Right. Um, she is also kind of accredited to starting what is known um, as the Valley of the Kings. Oh, right. Uh, it's kind of her reign that starts the the building of that area, which yep. later pharaohs add to and enhance, and that becomes more sophisticated um, over the years and the generations. Um, so overall, it's quite an impressive reign. But right. the question remains is, why did she take over? Um, and the there's differing opinions about how that was. So a lot of the time, uh, a lot of the early days in terms of, you know, 1900s to, you know, the modern era... Um, a lot of people kind of gave her the evil stepmother narrative. Right. It's like she swooped in, saw the opportunity, manipulated, blah, 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 and seized power for herself. Right. Um, and in kind of more contemporary lens, that's kind of been pushed aside, mostly because there's no evidence, but also because a lot of the people doing those research were men in the 1900s to the 2000s. Yeah. Um, and and, the- and <laughs> Yeah. Seems like a lot of projecting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Obviously, oh, an yeah. awful stepmom. Like, where'd you get that from? <laughs> and one of the main reasons why that is, it, it's not ruled out, but it's semi-rejected, is the fact that Tutmosis III, the son who should have taken over, is living alongside Hatshepsut. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, if we're talking about, I think it's Edward, who, you know, kills off the princes in the tower to seize, you know, because there are legitimate heirs to the throne who yeah. can destabilize. Um Thomas III goes on to rule after Hatshepsut. Um, there doesn't seem to be any uh, documentation of civil war or right. struggle or, you know, vying for power. So it looks like, on all sense purposes, that was a peacefully agreed upon situation. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of one of the main ruling out of why that wasn't this kind of evil takeover. Yeah. Um, and Well, Thutmos III here, it says... Uh, was um, uh, it says here he ruled Egypt for almost fifty four years, mm. but his age of death was fifty six. So either like, huh? <laughs> so there's a lot of time in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> a lot of wiggle room, right? But, um, right. Yeah, there's still a lot of like data um, in terms of like the dates and everything going on. It's very crossed over, right? Um, but maybe he just wasn't ready. Like maybe she was a good mum and mm. went, "Oh, my son is like a moron." Like you know, maybe <laughs> maybe she was watching him play t-ball and he was mm. hitting the tea stand all the time, and she's like, "He can't even hit a ball. Like this is no time for him to rule Egypt." Well, he had also a very prosperous reign. Yes. So, Tutmosis the second 
Hatshepsut and Thutmose III yep. all had very successful reigns. Right. And it's only until Thutmose III's um, heir, who was Utmose, I can't remember the name, there's a lot of Utmoses. Um, <laughs> Hang on, I'll look it up for you. Thank you. Um, so basically, Thutmose III had a son. Amen, Amenhotep II. There we go, Amenhotep. Amenhotep II. Um, so Thutmose III had a son who was lined up and prepped to all of that and passed away. Right. Um, and then, so Amenhotep II became pharaoh by default. Yep. Um, and it's kind of considered that that was not what Thutmose III wanted. Right. Um, but, you know, they died. And so <laughs> right. you follow the natural procession down. And, and yeah. Thutmose III is um, kind of the, the turning point of that era between a lot of successful periods of strong pharaohship and growth. Yeah. Amenhotep represents a decline in that. And yeah. as I mentioned earlier, uh, a lot of Hatshepsut's kind of um, presence has been scratched off right. after her death. Um, you know, the name has been chipped away from the walls in a very poorly, shoddily done way. Right. And one of the hypotheses behind that is actually Amenhotep trying to um, use the success of the male pharaohs, so his lineage to Thutmose the Third, the right. Second, and the First, to kind of stabilize his own rule. And Hatshepsut being the anomaly in that represents a, right. a step away from this clear, strong line of successful male leaders. Right. So there's one theory that, you know, he's gone around to try and, like, remove trace of her record um, to legitimise his own lineage back to these, you know, strong, successful, prosperous pharaohs. Yeah. Um, again, just a theory, because nobody knows. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, it's also how interesting, like, we all worry now about digital ink and the way that it's forever, but you know what's even harder to get rid of? Shit carved into rocks. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a shoddy job, too, because they found so much of yeah. um, it not destroyed. Yeah. And in the same places where they found things that were broken and clearly done in a way to try and discredit, you know, you turn around and you see a wall that was fine. Yes. Um, and so there was this kind of like, someone attempted to do it, but not very well. Right. Was it hastily done? Was it done in, in a panic? Um, and yeah, it's, and, and it, it's interesting because her Chepsit's body is still TBC relatively. They believe they found her. Um, oh, right. They're, but they're not certain. They're not certain. So she had a tomb and when they excavated it, and it was actually Howard Carter um, who did a lot of the main... He, was, he didn't discover it, but he did a lot of the main excavations and actually digging up the dirt to get into the tomb. Um, she tried to bury herself with Tutmosis II, who was her um, partner. Yep. One of, one of his partners. Um, and... There was two tombs there. Um, they found him, uh, I believe, but not her, even though there was clearly a tomb that says, here I am. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> and yeah. so they were like, okay, has this body been removed? Has it right. been moved to another tomb? And that's kind of not a regular um, for those eras, uh, for people being like, I want to assert my power. I want to be with this pharaoh. I want to be right. with this person. We're going to our life together. I'm going to move you from this tomb to this tomb. Yeah. It's bigger. It's grander. We're together, you know. Um, and so a lot of those times... It's not odd, but the fact that they couldn't find it anywhere kind of suggested, suggested rather, um, that it could have fed into this narrative that she was taken away because she wasn't seen as worthy yeah. by the same people who tried to discredit her from history. Right, right. Um, so, uh, essentially what you're saying is that men have been awful for 
a long time. Who knows? Could have been women. Could have been women. Could have been oh, women. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of mothers. Ooh, There's a lot of mothers involved. Do not <laughs> underestimate a woman's scorn. Because, yeah, in, 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 in that era in particular, a pharaoh would have uh, a main wife, but also lots of women that he right. would sleep who would also produce heirs. In, in the case of Amenhotep III, uh, the second, sorry, who was Tutmosis III's second choice of heir, yeah. that came from a wife who wasn't his primary wife. Right. Um, and so, you know, whilst behind the scenes you've got pharaohs at play, you've also got the, the mothers who want to, sh- you know, who would presumably want to see their son succeed yeah. to the throne yeah. over someone else's son, even if they are not the principal wife. Yeah. So, you know, potentially it could have been um, anyone from that kind of lineage trying to secure power yeah. by taking it away from this other woman who's clearly not, you know, not deserving of the role, has messed up the the history, you know, changed yeah. it. Um, and there's so many different interpretations, which is why I find Hatshepsut's reign in particular quite interesting. Yeah. Um, it follows that kind of narrative about taking over the role. And she's not really, you know, she's we've got the most information on her as being the first ruler, pardon me, the first female ruler yeah. of Egypt, but... There are hints that there have been female rulers before, yes. especially in the Old Kingdom, right. but there's just not as much written evidence for that. Yeah. So that kind of, you know, being the main representation of the first female pharaoh um, has a lot of uh, weight to it, a yes. lot of baggage and a lot of um, historical relevance Yeah, um, that plays a, a role into, uh, you know, how that era is... Um, interpreted by historians and how people kind of understand how gender role played a role right. in society at those times too. It's interesting. So you uh, looking at her major accomplishments and they are quite uh, amazing. Like it says here that she uh, re-established the trade uh, routes uh, and the networks that have been disrupted hmm. uh, during the, <clears throat> is it the Hiskos or Hyskos occupation of Egypt mm-hmm. uh, and uh, thereby building the wealth of the 18th dynasty so that's uh that's important it talks about the building projects which you had already uh mentioned um yeah it feels like uh you know she she got a lot done Mm. you know and and by default you could argue you know a lot of the times especially when it comes to that kind of gender reversal of those very male dominated roles and the fact that they're so traditional and based in a lot of religious um, context the idea of a female interpreting that you would presume that the people could have been unhappy and if the people were unhappy it would also fuel this idea of a revolt and yeah um but clearly it didn't happen yeah um there was a lot of stability a lot got done yeah so that you know there was indications that actually the general population seemed to be fine with it yeah because otherwise there would be this, you know, I what you know, you could presume there would be more scratching yeah. out of the name, yeah. ruining the buildings, defacing yeah. statues. But she's got a whole temple that has many um, retellings of her accomplishments, with, right? You know, statues of her yeah. that have lasted over time, and so it, it's very interesting to try and build up this picture to go. Well, someone had an aggrie- a grievance with her past or posthumously, right? But at the time, she managed to do this shift. Um, she managed to do it successfully yeah. in terms of clinging onto the power, absolving that power for herself. Yes. And then ruling. Right. Both in terms of family, population, success of the empire, military accomplishments, wealth. Um, and yeah, and, that's, and it's kind of one of these intriguing things. So everything seems to be going right, but then it goes wrong later on. Right. Why is that? How is that? Yeah. Um, 
like most friends, right? Yeah. Like most things, <laughs> most things like knowing when to leave the party <laughs> is something 99% of people fail at. <laughs> yep. You know, oh, if they just left an hour beforehand. It would have been all That would have been great, you know. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I, like, so, you know, we we had a bit of texting about what mm. you were going to talk about uh, and then I was uh, about talking about uh, Egyptology stuff and then I was like, oh, tell me what it, like, it was only a few, uh, about an hour before you came over and I looked and it's like, oh, there's a lot of stuff here. There's mm. a lot of stuff here and it's really really interesting where did you read about her is there anything that for people who want to know more uh, about i've been deliberately avoiding her name hatchepsit hatchepsit uh is there anything that you can point them towards that's not wikipedia yeah uh totally i feel you i find wikipedia so dull and it's yeah. also again the interpretations on wikipedia is different historians yes Inputting like everything on Wikipedia, you can yeah. go in and input, and you know different variations of what happened. W- Wiki's Info- fine for you to find basic information yeah. to then help you go and find the more in-depth stuff, don't you think? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, my degree was in biomedical science, and I used to do that. I'm like, Wikipedia will tell me if I'm onto something, right? And then I will use Wikipedia to say, I think there's something out there. Yeah. Let me go look for it properly. Yeah. Um. Yes, so in terms of Hatshepsut, there's this great documentary on YouTube. Um, if you type in Hatshepsut, it'll come up. It's about 20 minutes. Yep. Um, and it's kind of a, 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 a blog, I suppose. This gentleman going through the kind of um, different stages of Hatshepsut's life and kind of hypothesizing different perspectives in the Egyptology community about why things happened, why things didn't happen. Yep. Um, very similar to this conversation, probably a bit more um, accurate on the times uh, and the timelines than myself, but um, it's it's really easily easy listening. You don't have to have a degree in Egyptology yeah. um, to understand what's going on. Um, oh, so I'd reckon, yeah, so type that in on YouTube. Yes. All right. That sounds great. Maybe uh, if I remember, I'll, uh, I'll try to write myself a note uh, and maybe I can find it and put it on the Big Squid <laughs> Facebook page so people can find it uh, easily. But it's such a... It, it, that era uh, of Egypt is has always been, like, as a kid, you know, just mm. the pyramids, the Sphinx, they're, they're all such uh, uh, indelible iconic iconography which i've been uh, obsessed about for so many so many years and it's uh, but it's weird it's um you know maybe like as a kid i, I got a lot of uh, greek mythology mm. uh i got a little bit of norse mythology you know but uh th- th- this stuff was never really taught there was a bit of stuff yeah. in ancient history um but it's all you know, even uh, I think there was um, God. What was the TV series? Uh, but I saw the where they worked out how the pyramid, the the shafts that they thought were places that allowed oh, the yes. pharaohs to breathe, <clears throat> then lined up. I think with Beetlejuice or something like that. You know, with <laughs> yeah. these because of you know the, uh, the of course the stars have moved over time, and then they worked out where the stars were back then, and they went, wait a minute, that's leading directly to that and that. Like, yeah, all this. All this lost knowledge and all this lost uh, uh, approach to mm. the way of living is not only a, a travesty for for uh, you know life as it wears on, yeah. but is it, it makes it all seem so 
kind of magical a little bit as well mm. because there is there isn't that stuff that we have been taught on a regular basis. Totally, and I think you know when it comes to Greek and Roman culture, mythology, yeah. religion, history included in that. That is something, especially from a European context, that has been ingrained a lot more mm. in terms of what we value from culture. You know, whether yes. you're talking about theatre, whether you're talking about philosophy, yeah. those practices, you know, they go into every field, whether you're a doctor talking about the Hippocratic Oath, yeah. whether you're um, talking about, um, you know, art and the idea of what is sacred and what is not sacred and what is good art, what is bad art. Yeah. You know, a lot of the basis of those from a European context come from those those civilizations yeah. in particular and what's nice about the egyptian context is a lot of that obviously was lost until very recently and so whilst that hasn't fed into our kind of narrative about how we interpret um and view culture and the arts and and all manner of things um it's it then as a benefit retains that mysteriousness yeah yeah, um, yeah. it retains that mystery it retains yeah. that element of curiosity it becomes yeah. shiny because we understand the world through this approach that approach and this approach yeah so then when we encounter something that contradicts that or doesn't seem as clear yeah. to our perspectives it you know it becomes fascinating and it allows us to broaden our mind out of that typical yeah. you know european centric um way of looking at things and that's again one of the reasons why i find it fascinating to go into these things and be like there's no answers because we just can't know you know the language uh, we could only decipher in the last 200 years yeah 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 yeah. obviously thousands of years gap but when they when they did use it but um we're still digging stuff up and so what we're talking about today could be very different in 10 years time and it was very different 10 years ago well you know Hopefully more women will just get into a uh, position where they can start <laughs> writing this stuff and stop, act, you know, oh, that <laughs> that awful male perspective of, oh, it was a female pharaoh. She must have been uh, a, a mother-in-law who worked her way up into a position of power. So and like, manipulated what? the men. All right, mate. Am. No need to project your issues onto history, <laughs> right? Oh, gosh, the same way Like I find it funny when they're like, oh, these two men were very good friends and they all lived in the same house. And yes. you're like, oh, did they? Did they? Yeah. Oh, they could have, you know, they were yeah. just good friends. Were they? Were they? <laughs> they got yeah. buried together in yeah. a culture where being buried was very sacred. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they were really good mates. Very good. Nothing sus. Chummy. Yeah, <laughs> so funny. Um, um, indeed. I, always great to see you, and uh, we'll uh, please come back and uh, bring more of this. This is great. I love it. And as I said, the listeners are big fans of this stuff as well. And uh, uh, where can people find you? And uh, do you have uh, do you have shows coming up? Because I, I don't know where amongst all my so many of my friends <laughs> were about to do shows that got. Yep. You know, derailed. Uh, some people have used this time to write a new show. Where are you at? I have used this year to um, do very little. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I have so I'm so an out of house person, and so being right. stuck at home is so like I'm not. I have no stimulus. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And so going outside, I'm like, ah, cool. Um, so I don't have a show coming up, um, and I'm actually kind of glad about it because i kind of uh, there's a festival going on in sydney the laugh out of lockdown right a lot of people doing shows like you say that they've been running over this time or couldn't get to do so i'm actually keen to like not be in work mode or hustle mode myself um and just to go to a bunch of shows and be like oh this is great and then try and you know reinvigorate myself over summer here in australia being the southern hemisphere it's our summer in december um and 
Yeah. Then churn out next year rather than going straight back into the hustle. It's so... uh, (laughs) I was talking about this with... Who was I talking about this with? I think it was Will Anderson. And we were talking about... How long have you been a stand-up? Uh, I started in April 2019. Yeah. So you're in that uh, that area that we were discussing, which is, you know, you start doing stand-up, you start getting a feel for it, uh, you start having some victories, you have some defeats, you mm. know, and it's you, you start getting that real forward momentum. And this is, in many ways, this is like the first five years of your career is normally the most exciting time because mm. when you succeed, you don't really know why you succeeded and when you <laughs> fail you don't really understand why you fail <laughs> like yeah. unless it's, it's <laughs> like you know there's um even now there is a gig from 20 odd years ago where i just i and and by the way pe- when comedians talk about tough gigs hmm. there, there's there's something that i need to just kind of say which is lots of people think that you have lots of tough gigs but no, we just talk about the tough gigs because mm. the really good gigs, it's just you spraying your scent all over the room, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, I did this gig, killed for 70 minutes, did this ad lib, did this ad lib. Yeah, I know it doesn't work now, but in the moment it was really good. Walked <laughs> off, felt pretty great about myself. Yep. And you sit there and you go, fuck, that was a boring story. But when you say, <laughs> anyway, I got hit with a piece of lemon, people go, oh, tell me more about yep. that. So, but, they, so, but, but they also stick mm. out more, you know. But I, I remember, you know, really early into the stand-up part of my career, not the duo, but the stand-up part, I remember one of my first forays into Sydney, just having a gig where even when I talk about these things and I think back to that gig, you go, I have no idea what went wrong. Like, no idea. <laughs> I, yep. I, I, know, I remember the gig. I, I don't remember the, the specifics of the gig on the night before or the gig the night after, but both of them were killers. And there was just one in the middle yep. that was just a complete failure. Yep. And to this day... <laughs> I have no idea why. And that's what the first five years of your career are like. Yep. It's just a bit like, I succeeded. Oh, that was a failure. Fuck, what's happening? I don't know. <laughs> and it's it's frustrating. Yep. Like, I feel frustrated for you to be at this point of your career and having to go, all right, well, I, I think what you're doing is a smart move. Okay, this year is a mess, so I'm just going to uh, get information going into my mm. head by watching things and uh, being re-inspired. And I think that's a great move. But uh, I'm frustrated for you that... <laughs> You know, that's what you're doing now when you should just be hustling and doing gigs and having a good time. Oh, yeah, because it's like in... So, yeah, so April 2019 started, put a first show in for Fringe just to do it. Mm. And I was like, cool, it's going to be ba- it's gonna be a bit of a burner show. I'll mm. reinvent for the Sydney Festival the following year mm. um, and give it a good whack. Um, that following year got cancelled because of COVID mm-hmm. and then I came back for a little bit and I was like, right, I'm going to start doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Got back into the swing of things. I'll start writing a show to put into French. Yeah. <laughs> then that got cancelled yeah. again. I was like, uh, I've noticed a pattern here. Yeah. Um, so I thought, instead of just kind of jumping straight back into the rat race and being like, ah, yeah, you know, because you, you tend to get in your own head yeah yeah like someone's sure. doing that i saw someone on there someone's yeah. show is selling out quickly what did yeah. i do right what did i re- ah. yeah i was just like if i if i just go focus on writing stuff that i like and yeah. doing the odd gig obviously yeah. doing different spots and stuff but not having the pressure of being like i've got to write a killer hour show yeah and it's got to be great and i've got to sell tickets and yeah. i've got to do that in a month because you know yeah the hustle's on I just kind of was like, I'll push it to 2022. And and it's not like you can, you know, the stuff that you worked on for a show, Mm. there's no point going back to that because you're at, 
early on in your career, you're, you're changing so rapidly because yeah. there's there's so much happening. I feel like a lot of that stuff you'd look at and go, who wrote oh, that? Gosh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not that person anymore. It was interesting because last, last year I... So we had our first lockdown and then yep. in Sydney we had quite a long drawn out era of restrictions easing yes. up over like two months later you got two more seats in your bar yes if your firstborn <laughs> son was named after a biblical figure yeah um yep. you know like that type of deal and so gigs were a bit <laughs> sparing and audiences yep. were a bit thin and yep. i and i found myself having a bit more anxiety around it right performing when i'd never had that before right like i'd be like oh you know uh, i hope i do well but i wouldn't be like i feel uncomfortable yeah about to get on and i and i got over that which is you know i'm I'm really fortunate about um and then i got on at the store at the beginning of this year for the first time which was great um and i said yes um even though i was still feeling anxious up until that point because i was like well i can't say no uh i just got to do it yeah and over the space of doing the store which is like about four or five gigs in a week yeah pretty much every other day oh no every day yeah um from thursday sunday um i had a dramatic like shift in the style of comedy right i did my first set and i was so nervous that i did a seven minute set in four minutes and then i bounced because <laughs> right. i was like right hello how are we going exits are here goodbye yeah um you're never going to make it what you're meant to do is 10 minutes in a seven minute spot and then Stare down the MC as if to say, what the fuck are you going to do about it? <laughs> ah, your problem now. Um, and the second day, so you go back and I'm like, oh, I've got to do it again. And I knew I was fast. And, yeah. I, and, I, and I felt it and I was able to tweak things. And I was like, well, I didn't die. So I didn't die going on the stage. So yeah. That's good. I didn't die. You know, yeah. what I, and I had to like yeah, you just psych myself up. But I also had a complete change of style because right. of that, that right. I don't think I would have got um just for in one-off spots beforehand and so i became much more kind of succinct right and to the point where beforehand i would be like oh you know i like to be a bit more you know charismatic and hey everyone how are you yeah, doing yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah of course and now it's yeah. like here's a one-liner yeah i'm just gonna stand here and let it do its job right rather than justifying it with yeah. a lot of words yeah um, and then I, and then people really responded well. And so I had the, the like, latter part of that store run and I, you know, got in the mindset, wrote a bunch of new jokes, put them in. Right. And, right. and it was interesting just noticing that, you know, having that whole period to get back into it after COVID, very little change, a lot yeah. of anxiety, one week of uh, very similar ish audiences, very similar scenarios, very similar placement in a lineup and yeah. what you're coming back off from. I was able to do a lot of, tightening and understanding how i like to tell jokes right right and i was like oh this seems more satisfying i tell a joke i back it yeah. by just telling the joke instead yeah. of justifying it yeah and they laugh yeah and i'm like i did you know that's great and and so you know it's on that element of like learning and the winning and the losing type aspects right. it was like being like oh like i can go back and look at the sets i were doing and being like that's actually four jokes not Two yeah. minutes worth of content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I tell it in a way. Yeah. Um, that previously would have been a yarn. Yeah. And now I'm like, the punchline is this. Just say the punchline. Like, yeah. say the setup and the punchline. And move That's on. Right. Um. So yeah, it's exciting. It's stressful to be in the five years. I mean, right. <laughs> looking back, I suppose you'd I'd be like, oh yeah, it was fun and exciting. And now I'm just like, ah. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like my first five years was. 
uninterrupted, you know, so it was throwing heaps of ideas against the wall and seeing what sticks. And that's, that's yeah. the frustration that I feel for uh, not only this generation of comedians, but specifically those people right at the start mm. who are finding their way, you know. So, And I, I think I'm, I'm, you know, I'm on the second half of like that journey, which is good. Um, but I was actually chatting to a friend the other day about it and I was like, there's going to be a, a gap in new talent. Yeah to scene talent because you know it takes a, a while just to go and do smaller gigs to a yeah. you know build your name up locally but also to practice and refine and do like you know like i said in that what i did in that week but you know across time yeah and because of COVID, the last two years um a lot of the local comedy nights dropped which means that pete there were less spots and they were going to people who people already knew yeah people who could do the job and yeah. the producers were like oh i know blah 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 they'll do it they'll smash it they'll kill it um and so a lot of new people who have started just not getting opportunities to perform. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's going to be like a very big gap for about a year, two years where you're going to get people who have been around for a while, who are yeah. great people who are new, who just seem like quote unquote, they're really bad. Yeah. Well, they're not bad. They yeah. just have two years interrupted. Yeah. They've not been able to get into the rhythm and they've not been able to actually get to a stage where you'd be like, Oh great. I'm going to give you that opportunity because yeah. you're ready yeah. for it. Um, which is kind of, It'd be interesting to see what effect that has. Um, It's kind of sad. And hopefully, you know, now we reopen, a lot of people can start pushing towards supporting newbies um, and being like, look, you might bomb. Doesn't matter. Go Go and get them. Like, you know, like, (laughs) here's the stage time. Like, here's the opportunity to A, meet people, to get up in front of an audience, um, to say hello and, you know, make mates and... um, you know, do that thing where you just send someone a joke and be like, am I mad or is there something? Like, yeah, right, right. <laughs> you know, when you right. do that, like if you don't have those people, it can be, you know, it slows down that growth. Yeah. So, Hopefully yeah. it gets back on track soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, where can people find you on the socials? Um, AJ Lamarck, L-A-M-A-R-Q-U-E. Um, pretty oh, much you pronounce the cure? Yeah. Oh, I've been mispronouncing your name. I always thought it was Lamar. But ah, Lamarck. I've never heard that. Yeah, right. Lamarck. Okay. Um, but then I say things quite... British. Like, I was actually talking to a friend. I'm going to drag this on for a little bit. But um, I didn't realize it was spelled... It was front room. Like, right. Uh, as in the living room is also known as a front room. Right. Because I grew up in London. Everyone, you know, spoke a little bit, you know, that Cockney accent. Right. I had front room. Yes. Oh, going in the front room. Yeah, right. The very quick said. And so I thought it was F-U-T-R-O-D. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, until I had to write it down at the age of 18. Someone was like, what's a front room? Right. And I'm like... Right, it's... That's a word. It's the fat room. It's the fat room. Everyone, you, yeah. you hang out with your family in the fat room. You go out to the back room, you go out to the fat room. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, sometimes I just speak like that and people are like, yeah, I've heard it. And I'm like, oh, that's just, okay. just me. But, um, yes, AJ Lamarck on most socials. Yeah. I think Instagram and TikTok is where I'm most alive at the moment. Oh, yeah. That's where the young people oh, are these yeah. days. That's good. All right. Thanks, mate. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you to AJ for joining me on the podcast today and to everyone who shared their thoughts on what they'd like to see in the next Batman movie. That was a lot of fun. And as I said, it got me thinking and I uh, really enjoyed that. And also one final shout out to Darren Burgess, our Patreon subscriber for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed everything that took place here. I'll be back on Thursday with our next Space Podacy episode. This time, Ben and I are covering Wally. 
So you still have a couple of days to watch it before we drop the podcast. Head over to the Big Squid Facebook page and share your thoughts on the Sopranos movie or the, you know, Wally, whatever, the Batman stuff. You know, I'm always happy to keep the chat going. If you have thoughts, head over there. That's probably the best place to uh, drop these uh, thoughts and I will find them and I will reply. I will, you know, I will eventually reply. Sometimes it gets a little bit overwhelming, but I'll get there. I will definitely get there. (laughs) Okay, let's finish today's episode with a quote from David Chase. I think that the difference between The Sopranos and the shows that came before it was that it was really personal. There had been a lot of dramas, a lot of really good ones, a lot of really bad ones, but they were always franchise shows about cops or doctors or lawyers. They weren't about the writer himself. Until then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.